Well, here we are in a holiday week, and Joanne's here in the studio with me. We're going to talk about getting together over the holidays, and we're going to begin with asserting that loneliness is a choice. So, honey, thanks for joining me here. we got something to talk about today. Yes, we do, and I do believe that uh, that line is very true. Loneliness is a choice. We're going to talk about a lot of ways not to be lonely today. Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. All right, well, we already set the stage for what we're going to be talking about a couple weeks ago. I did a segment, and I titled it Stop Eating Alone. I talked about the power of connections, the power of having conversations as you have meals together, and had some people respond to that, and so we're going to lean into that a little bit more in our conversation here today. So addressing questions like, hey, I'm getting together with family, and I'm already dreading the questions I'll be asked, things like, have you put on a little weight? Uh, Are you still unemployed? Can you believe what Ron DeSantis or Joe Biden or Donald Trump or Nancy Pelosi just did? We're going to talk about what's the difference between entertaining and hospitality. And then in response to the question we were asked, how does Joanne stimulate great conversations at the Miller House? That was really the thing that prompted this was somebody asking that. And we do that so naturally in our family that I thought, you know, we need to just talk about it here. Now, as always, if you've got a question for upcoming episodes, just shoot that in. You can go to 48days.com slash askdan. I'll leave it there. Be happy to line that up for upcoming, upcoming podcasts. We've got some great things in the queue coming up. Our quotation today comes from a book that Joanne and I both have enjoyed titled, You're Invited by John Levy. And the quotation is this, the most universal strategy for success is creating meaningful com- meaningful connections with those who can impact you, your life, and the things you care about. Let me do that again since I messed it up. The most universal strategy for success is creating meaningful connections with those who can impact you, your life, and the things you care about. And our resource is a tie-in to that, of people asking about what are the questions that Joanne has prepared to ask around mealtimes and holidays. If you go to 48days.com slash holiday connections, you'll get a free download of a PDF there with some fancy seasonal graphics and some questions that we do ask here in our house. So the question came from Lynn who asked, since you mentioned about getting together with people over food, I believe in one of your podcasts, you mentioned Joanne, your wife, putting together dinner parties and questions asked to stimulate good conversation. I would love hearing her on your podcast about this topic. Well, honey, we're going to talk about this today. You've got lots of great questions. We have jars for different occasions that you pull out with questions that do generate great conversations around the table. I think both of us share a distaste for just getting together and trying to make conversation with people we don't know very well, or even people that we do know well. And uh, but the the conversation just gets political, or theological, or differences that just don't make for good entertainment or good uh, relationships. 
good times together. I like to make our times with other people be memorable. And apparently it's worked pretty well because I get a lot of comments about it. <laughs> I think I could write my own book. Everybody wants to come to our house. Well, and you know, I dread going to most of the things that we're invited to because I really just can't tolerate just chit-chat. Just, sit sit with a cocktail or a... Uh, a oh cup of goodness. coffee and talk about uh, your landscaping or, uh, or complaining about or complaining. the noise the yes. roofers are making, <laughs> which yeah. they are today. A lot of, a lot of complaints. <laughs> well, the, the flip side of that is, though, we can create our own loneliness if we're not careful. And yes, you know that I'm very comfortable with solitude. I'm energized by solitude. I like being alone a lot, but I also recognize the value of connections. But I want those to be meaningful connections, not just chit-chat to pass the time. But what you're talking about is is very different. You're more of an introvert, and you do like alone times, and so do I. I, I love what I call white space, where I don't have people um, in my invading my space and, and my life for a while. But that's different than loneliness, and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Loneliness is uh, is a choice, and it's something that we can certainly remedy quickly with just the right tools. You know, it really is a difference. I like that. There's a difference between solitude, which can be very energizing, yes, very refreshing, invigorating, yes. as compared to loneliness where, you know, why am I all alone? Well, there is uh, what they call a loneliness epidemic. Um, they say we're facing a loneliness epidemic like never before. A study conducted by Health Service Cigna found that nearly half of Americans report sometimes or always feeling alone, 46%. 47% of people feel left out. You know, and it's funny because we're so connected with texting, social media, and yet more isolated, lonely, and disconnected than ever. Millennials, you know, the younger generation, recent study found that 22% of millennials in the United States say they have no friends. And 30% say they always or often feel lonely. Now that's in as much as you and I have already stated that we both enjoy solitude. Uh, we don't feel lonely. I mean, no. I never, I don't feel lonely. No, no. And in fact, I've told, I've, I've told you a few times that I think I have all the friends I can handle. I don't need more. <laughs> <laughs> well, another statistic here is over 70% of pastors experience loneliness and have no close friends. They say they can trust with personal matters. 70% have a lower self-image now than when they first joined the ministry. That's pretty sad. Wow. Well, you know, we, we talk about so many things in our culture that lend themselves to our longevity. Are we going to live a long time or are we not? Researchers at Brigham Young University studied tens of thousands of people and examined everything from diet and smoking habits to marital status exercise to try to understand what leads to longevity. After seven years of tracking these groups, they have an answer, and it was not what anyone expected. The greatest predictors of longevity were the relationships those people had. And the greatest predictors of long life, then, are the quality of our relationships. The most important predictor of living a long life was what researchers call social integration. You know, our son, Kevin, I uh, recently interviewed Dan Pink with his new book, The Power of Regret. And in there, 
In The Power of Regret, Dan says, close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives. Those ties protect people from life's discontents, help to delay mental and physical decline, and are better predictors of long and happy lives than social class, IQ, or even genes. Now, without connections, you know, we suffer all kinds of negative effects on our health, our productivity, and satisfaction. And again, yet we're seeing that increase in isolation, loneliness, and and disconnection. Now, you are a master at connecting people. My goodness, whether it's physically or online, or you need to talk to this person, you just are a master at bringing people together. And I know that you, for years, have been studying that. And you have yes. some things that have affected you and helped you shape why you're such a master at this. Well, I wasn't always because in our home growing up, we didn't entertain. We didn't have, uh, we we did not practice hospitality in the way that I certainly you were little, did little girl. when I was a little girl. Yes, yes. which is it, ironic because um, you uh, in your home, it was always an open door, and your parents always had people in. Sometimes people you knew, sometimes perfect strangers off the street, and you would uh, have dinner together, and uh, often they would spend the night and that kind of thing. That didn't happen in my house. And maybe it was that lack of having uh, hospitality that I um, tried to correct in my uh, adulthood. I don't know. But I know that in 1970. Uh, six, I read a book by Karen Burton Maines called Open Heart, Open Home. And it was life-changing for me. I still have that book. It's all dog-eared and marked up, but it was a, a real uh, life-changer because it helped me to recognize that there's a difference, a very distinct difference between entertaining and hospitality. And it made me better understand why I uh, needed to work on that issue, and why I think that a lot of people don't have it work well for them, because so many of them fall into, well, I've got to entertain. So let's break that down a little bit. You know, entertaining is a very common term, and we hear that more really than hospitality. So how are they different, and why have you leaned in one direction more than the other? You know, it's interesting if you even think about the the. Uh, definition of those two words, which I probably should have put in my notes here, but uh, entertaining, you're kind of on stage. You think of it in that way. You're on stage and you're, you're, you're having to perform. And it's much more stress producing in many respects than hospitality where you're just giving from your heart. Um, in, in open heart, open home, the distinction that Karen Maines made, I thought was well, as I said, life-changing for me. Uh, entertaining puts things before people. And it's it uh, has the attitude of, look at my clever decorating. Look at my beautiful home. Taste my gourmet cooking. Look at uh, my well-behaved children. And uh, see what a great housekeeper I am? Let me impress you. That's mm. what entertaining is more. It's more being on stage. It's more of how you're projecting to the public. And and there's not anything wrong with that. There's a degree of that that certainly any of us would would want to um to have in effect if we are having guests in our home. However, hospitality makes you think of it in a whole different term. Ho- hospitality seeks to minister. 
It doesn't try to impress, but it tries to serve. It allows people to see us as we are and puts relationships as a high priority. It also promotes being real with people instead of being perfect. Per- being Trying to be perfect is very intimidating. You know, this is something that we talk about a lot in art. And, and most of your listeners realize or know that I'm an artist as well as uh, author and various other things that I do. But trying to be perfect in art, you'll never achieve it. In art, I always just say art is never really finished. It stops in interesting places. And I know too many artists who have worked too hard to try to make their piece perfect. So We're not looking for per- perfection. So the same could apply to having people in your home if yes. you try to make it perfect. And there are a lot of people we know who are uncomfortable having other people come in their home. As a matter of fact, the house we're living in currently yes. was yes. owned by an elderly lady, a widow. Mm-hmm. There's an elderly lady, a widow, who lives right next door in the driveways join. That lady had never been in this house until we owned it. Now she's been in here many times. I've heard that from most of our neighbors. They had never been in this house. And of course, we've had our open door policy yeah. right from the beginning. And um, it, it creates a whole do- It's interesting. We just got a, a thank you for uh, because we hosted an event here in our cul-de-sac just recently. And one of the neighbors uh, sent me an email saying that we brought a whole new, a whole new energy to the cul-de-sac. Mm. Well, it's because we've been hospitable. We weren't just entertaining. We weren't waiting till everything is perfect. We weren't waiting till just the right time. And that's what people do. They wait and they, they have all kinds of excuses of why they can't be hospitable, have people in their home, or have people do this, that, and the other with them. Any kind of relationship takes nurturing. I don't care if it's with your spouse or with your children, with whomever. Your friends, your friendships take nurturing. And I take that to the nth degree, as you well know. And I have lots and lots of friends. I have some that are very close friends. Just had um, Irene here for a week. Irene has been, in fact, I dedicated my Creating a Haven of Peace book to Irene and Jerry. They were our dear friends in California. How many years ago? Oh, almost 50 years ago. <laughs> Hard to imagine now, but it was, uh, we became friends before Jared was born and our second child. And she, we, every time we get together, we just take up where we left off. Um, I have, you talked about connecting friends. It's interesting since we moved to uh, Florida that my Florida friends know my California friend, my uh, Tennessee friends. They are all connected with uh, from a lot of things, but I love networking people mm-hmm. and creating, helping others to create new friendships. I don't think when you talk about loneliness is a choice, it really grates on me when I hear somebody talk about being lonely. Heaven sakes, get out there and make yourself unlonely. Make yourself available. Call people. Call people. Text people. Uh, love on people. Invite people in. And that can happen even informally at the grocery store, oh, or the dry my, cleaners, yes. or a restaurant where you engage in the conversation. And that can go beyond just having a conversation. Uh, you met a lady very, very quickly after we moved here to Florida at the local fitness center. 
who's become oh. a dear friend of yours. Oh, the first day at uh, at Planet Fitness two years ago, um, I saw a lady looking at the directions on how to do the circuit that I was doing, and I had been doing it in Tennessee, so I was familiar with it. And because Planet Fitness was a new facility at that time, uh, they didn't have people to explain that standing around. So I went up to her and I said, do you need some help? I'd be glad to work with you a little bit and just explain these <laughs> machines for you. And, oh, two years later, we are best of friends, have been all along. We we will work out together. We go shopping together. Play we games have, together. We play game every Every Sunday night is game night. This is another way to nurture relationships. Every Sunday night here, if we're available, we here at our house, I host um, game night with Robin, my friend from here, and Caleb, our grandson. We all look forward to it. And anyone else who wants to show up. We have game nights. We have other people we have game nights with. Doing, We've been doing this since we, our kids were little. And in doing that, even here, usually have... Maybe a pot of soup, soup out, but you don't yes. get obsessed with having to have everything perfect, no. a seven-course meal. <clears throat> Chips are is- in the bag, and um, and we may eat on paper plates. That's okay. I'm not trying to be perfect. Now, there will be times when I want to put on a, a beautiful meal and uh, and entertain lavishly. Sure. That's okay. Um, but still... On the middle, in the middle of the table is usually a little container with questions because we don't like idle chit chat. And we're going to share some of those questions. But it reminds me when you talk about the distinctions between entertaining and hospitality. We recently had a a really uh, bad hurricane here where we live. A lot of damage done. We happened to be gone right during the hurricane. We were on a cruise. We came back just after the electricity came back in our house. So the neighborhood was a shambles. There were roads blocked, trees down, a lot of devastation. A lot of people did not have electricity yet. We came back, and about two hours after we got back to our house, our doors were open. You had fixed a salad buffet, and people were welcome to come in, anybody that wanted to, come in and eat, take showers We had strangers here. take showers. <laughs> <laughs> we did. That's okay. Because our, our home was open. You know, this goes way back even to, and I think you observed some of the open door policy with my family. My family being yes. Amish Mennonite roots, that's pretty common. You entertain each other. Well, you don't entertain. That's a poor use of the word. But you well, yeah, have you, open, you have to catch yourself. You're hospitable but, yeah. <laughs> uh, to anybody who needs it. And in that culture, they even see it as poor use of money to eat at a restaurant or stay at a hotel. You just stay with somebody who is also Mennonite or Amish as you're traveling. There's actually books put out about that where you can just stay with families as you go. But I think you observed that. And then we, our first home was a a little trailer. It was eight feet wide and 42 feet long, just off campus at Ohio State University. I think that's called an RV these days. Well, it's a (laughs) fancy name for a, a trailer. It was a trailer when we lived in it. But even there, and you had it fixed up nice, but it was very well known in the trailer park with other students. Our home was always open. If they yes. needed a cup of sugar, walk on in, help yourself. Yeah. If somebody needed a place to stay, if we we didn't have much, but we had a couch, and there was usually somebody staying on the couch. But even back then, our home was always open. It was, and we've uh, we've thrown parties every time we've moved. We've moved a lot of times, and we'll throw a house blessing party or a, 
uh, uh, just an open house to friends so that we invite them in and let them recognize that this is a home full of peace and a home full of love, and we want to bless every room with that. And by coming here, that's because we respect your friendship, we love you, and we want to be have you included in our lives. That's um, it, It's just something that it, it runs through our veins and has for so many years and been very effective in creating amazing friendships. In Tennessee, when we moved into the house that we lived in there for years, where we had the sanctuary that so many of you as listeners are familiar with, but we moved into that house, and we had a, a house blessing. We had about we had about sixty people show up, and it was before we had boxes unpacked. I mean, things weren't perfect. Pictures weren't oh, hung. Oh no, we everything just wanted, was. We just had moved everything in, and it was just sitting there. We wanted people to celebrate with us. Yes, it was a special time moving into that. So. We had our friends, you know, Dave and Sharon Ramsey and Gene and Vicki Riley and lots and lots and lots of friends. But, yeah. um, you know, it, I, I, like I said, I learned long ago from Karen Burton Maines that I don't have to wait till things are perfect. One of the things that I've recognized through the years is that trying to have everything in perfect order is intimidating to others. And that's a lot of why people won't do uh, have hospitality in their homes because they're intimidated. Um, being Having a whole lot of boxes sitting around or having your house a mess lets people know you're real. And they connect with you on that, on that, um, on that wavelength. One of the things that you're doing now that you do so um, just naturally is invite like other ladies into our home. There are a couple of ladies who live pretty close to us here who both have husbands who are needing a lot of care. Mm-hmm. You invite them over on Thursday afternoons just for tea, not even for, not even for a fancy meal, just for tea and just for a time of talking, just for a respite, a break in their caregiving duties. Those ladies feel like they won the lottery to have you invite them over. Well, people, people need other people. And they need to be able to get out of their home once in a while just for a break. And once I recognize that, they're lovely ladies. Um, we have great conversation, and, um, and it, it, it blesses both of us. You know, uh, Daniel, I think it's important to bring out that back when I was 50, which was a number of years ago, I was at that point where I was feeling lonely. But there were a lot of things happening in my life at that time. I had some poor health um, diagnoses. I had um, empty nest. Youngest child had just Uh gone off to college. A lot of things that I felt were um, coming in on me. I was depressed. I was not in a good frame of mind. And one of the things that I recognized was we had always been each other's best friends. We had not been as inclusive of others as what we should have been. And I needed other women in my life. Um, much as I love you and you're my best friend, you don't fill all of the need that I have in my life. So and, is this opening the door for me to have other women in my life as well? Uh, I, that was not the point that I was getting okay. ready to make. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, I would trust you totally if you did. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Um I decided one day there was, we had a Sunday school class that was back when 48 days was, you know, just, it wasn't even there yet. And um, 
we were teaching a Sunday school class, and there was a lady in our class that was about my age, and I thought um, I liked her. I didn't know her well, but I called her up, and I said, Bertie, I need a friend. And she said, oh, my gosh, so do I. And we got together, and we developed what is was called the Circle of Friends, and we usually had eight to ten at the most in that group. It varied a little bit. We had one who who died through the years. Um, we had some that moved away, various and sundry things. But usually it's around eight people, and it's been this eight people for many years now. Sharon Ramsey's a part of that. Um, a lot of, of my friends in, um, in, in Tennessee that were kind of well we weren't even all the same age actually there uh, there's a good 10 12 years difference in our in some of our ages but that was okay we just were we were going to the same church and we became friends we got together every month we did all kinds of things we did shopping excursions we did trips we did book studies we did bible studies we did um, dinners together. We had grandchildren that were brought into the mix. When we started the group, nobody, uh, just two of us, I think, had some grandchildren and the rest didn't. Oh my gosh, we could populate a whole village now with all the grandchildren we have. We shared life together. Much in, in some, some of the ways that you do with your mastermind group, this was my mastermind back there. However, it was more personal. Uh, than probably what your mastermind gets, which is tends to be also business related. We didn't have businesses. We were women who just needed friends, and so we started the uh, the circle of friends group. We still uh, we still correspond, and I get together with them every time I go to Tennessee. So this is these are things that can be developed. Again, loneliness is not it is a choice, and it does not have to be your life. And if you're lonely, don't whine about it don't cry about it reach out and create what you want all right now let's move into some of these questions that are asked around our table that people are asking about because these have been a really important part of great times here at our house so it's not just idle chit chat but we want it to be memorable we want it to be engaging and the questions how do you come up with the questions and give us some examples? I've taken questions from all kinds of things. Back in 19, when did we decide this? Um, tell it like it is. 1975. We had these little cards. I still have some sitting right here in front of me that are, are, are kind of yellowed at this point. From 1975, there was an, um, uh, it's called the Ungame. I, I don't want to say it was a game because it wasn't typically uh, your typical game. It was called the Ungame. Tell it like it is. And it had all these cards that had questions on it. And these were the first cards we ever used for uh, around the table for discussion. You know, it's like questions like, how would you define love? Uh, describe the perfect wife. Uh, okay, I've pulled out a bunch of romantic ones, apparently. Uh, what do you want to be doing in 10 years? All kinds of questions like that that would cr- stimulate good conversations. And we would have these on our dining room table. And um, it, it, we had all kinds of parties and used these and just loved them. Well, then I took off from that, and I had jars. You've got two of them sitting on your desk right now. Jars with questions in them all on that I've either typed out or written out on um, pieces of paper. And so people could just choose one, and that was their question to answer. And we'd go around the table, and we'd talk about that. 
Um, we used these in parties. I remember there was a time, uh, years, that we had Valentine's party. We love Valentine's Day. And so we'd have Valentine's parties, and we would, would do, have questions like this that people would use. Um, then when I did the Creating a Haven of Peace book, we had a little tin that was included in a package that we sent out to people when they ordered that book. And um, it's got the uh, a drawing that I had done of a hand holding a house and then creating a haven of peace on the top of it. Um, in that, I had a couple of bags of tea because we're tea drinkers, we don't drink coffee, and some chocolate and questions, a bunch of questions that people could use uh, for just conversations with their spouse or conversations with friends, conversations around the table. And some of the questions that I had in that was, um, what is something that you've learned about yourself in the last year that surprised you? What have you done with that new discovery? Has it made you a better person? How has it made you a better person? Another one would be, um, name three items still on your bucket list. Have you set a time frame for doing them? Do you have a plan to check them off the list? Why or why not? I could go on and on, but um, the the crux of uh, the goal of those questions was not just to ask one question that somebody could answer in a sentence. I wanted somebody to. I wanted people to elaborate and create a conversation because crea- conversations are not just one sentence or one word. Conversations are paragraphs. Well, and, they, and we just go on and on. Now, there are a lot of games out there that do have questions like that, like if and Anomia, how far would you go, loaded questions. We've found yeah. that we don't trust those because there tend to be things in those commercial games that are really not appropriate, at least not in our house. Well, and they, they may not be age appropriate if there are children around and so forth. Some of them, I've had some of these books, like How Far Would You Go? Well, yeah. there are some things in there that I, I that we don't want to have around our dining room table. But it's so easy just to make up your own questions it if is. you're really thinking. Yes. Now we've got the resource that we're uh, giving away today for people. If you go to 48days.com slash holiday connections, you'll get a free download of PDF. Give an example yes. of, of a couple of things that are on there. It's got great questions. What are you most grateful for that brings beauty to your daily life? Now that takes a little thinking. Uh, what book has made the most impact on your life this year? I love this question. Oh, and yeah, I, I, I love to too. ask people that question. What act of kindness has made the greatest difference in your life? Uh, what place do you feel most at, pe- most at peace and why? You know, questions like that that's on this list, I highly encourage your listeners to go to that. What was the the um, link again? 40days.com slash holiday connections. And it'll give you that PDF. You know, in some of the jars that I've got here, you know, you just keep adding to them. But if you could change the course of your life in any way, how would that be and why? Uh, here's another one. If you could go back to school and earn a degree in a specific field, what would it be and why? Well, you talk about, tell people what you would go back to school for if you had a chance to go back to school. Well, if I could now, uh, when I met you, it was library science. Well, there's that. We got over <laughs> but that. But now, oh my, I'd be a forensic anthropologist in There you go. <laughs> Big mouth. Uh, forensic anthropologist. Yeah. Those things fascinate you. Yeah, it Studying does. Studying people's bones after they've died. Well, and yeah, 
and crime and that kind of thing. I, I, maybe I should have been a lawyer. I don't know. I could have been a teacher. It's so many things that we're all gifted in so many ways, and there are a lot of things that we do well and that we enjoy. Uh, however, my number one career has always been family and uh, spouse and family, and that's been apparent, and it's paid off well. All right. Well, hey, we, we want to just make this a, a shorter holiday podcast just reminding people the power of connections, the power of getting together like that. I mean, we continue to do a lot of things that you hear me talk about here in the podcast week after week. I mean, recently, well, this year, oh, we did the Food for Thought. Mm-hmm. Food for Thought within five months. We had one Friday where people would apply to have lunch with us. No fee for that, no cost. There was no agenda, nothing to be sold. It was just to build relationships. And we selected 12 people for each of those. They were delightful. We met some really interesting people. We really did, yes. Again, opened the door to ongoing relationships. I mean, that was just an experiment. One of the things that we have experimented with ourselves is what's called the Thomas Jefferson plan of having a conversation. That means there's one conversation going on at any given time. When you think about how mealtimes, how noisy they can be, Mm -hmm. even with a table of 10 or 12 people, and there's just all these individual conversations going on, we like to at least reserve some of the time for the Thomas Jefferson method where there's one conversation. Ask a question. If somebody draw out, as with the examples we're using here, draw out a question, and then everybody can listen to that. It makes for a lot more memorable time together than just the random blah blah blah. Yes, and and it bonds people together. And and I I'm I wrote recently in one of my art blogs that um, one of the best way to bond is over food. Um, oh my! It's hard. It's hard to talk and have meaningful conversations if you're on the golf course and you're hitting the ball, or you're at a, a movie, or at a game, or a noisy restaurant, but breaking bread around the table, there's just something sacred about that. You know, I think about Michael and Lydia McGreevy. They live in Buffalo, New York, but they have a a garden that they love. They have three small children and they have a garden and now they're having dinners for people with all the ingredients coming out of the garden. That's awesome. Isn't that neat? Yeah, it is. It really is. Memorable time. Uh, Kent Julian, Kent and Kathy Julian, they have dinner a four-hour dinner with one couple every week i mean think about the how you could get to know somebody and how you could help a couple if it's a younger couple mentor them or learn from uh, somebody who's a little ahead of you in years but just those intentional times of getting together rather than just the random you know eat and run yeah are so good you know let me bring up one more thing before excuse me before you bring this to a close uh, back years ago, when we lived in California, um, I took Chinese gourmet cooking classes. Yes, indeed. And and I got into all these different ethnicities in food. And every time we would do that, we would practice. And I say we because Irene, my uh, best friend out there, uh, and I did this together. We would have little gatherings of friends. We'd invite over and serve them these meals and we'd have uh, the decor and everything when we were doing chinese we were sitting on pillows on a i believe it was a door that we had put across a, ta- uh, a, a card table or something or no not a card table but something low so that we could sit on our uh, on the floor 
and eat this meal. I don't want to do that anymore. But that was fun back then when I was young and agile. But um, having themed parties like that is so much fun. Robin, my friend here, just recently for uh, right around um, between Halloween and Thanksgiving in their uh, community, they have a they put on like a skit and it's a who done it and there's somebody created a crime and you have to de- determine who did it but they dress in costume they it was pirates this year i mean elaborate costuming the food blends in and, and all that kind of stuff and go from home to home there's so, so many ways i mean seriously i could write a book on all the ways that you can reach out to other people and loneliness is a choice you know one of the things that we do when my mastermind is here they come down here frequently and we have uh, really great times together but part of that is having great great meals so (laughs) this last one we rented a big white tent right on the beach then at sharky's on the pier real popular eating place here just had a great time there we've gone to der dutchman which is an Amish restaurant mm-hmm. with a buffet that blows people's minds it because does, the food yeah. is so awesome. But yeah, we make it part, but again, those are integral parts of deepening relationships, not just a break from what we're doing. Those are ongoing parts of deepening relationships. Yes. Breaking bread together, the Bible talks about that. There's a lot of richness in that. Well, these are, I hope this has been helpful to you. Just to encourage you here at holiday times, uh, you can uh, avoid those uncomfortable conversations that uh, you may be intimidated by. Take the initiative and lead. Take the lead, the lead on those conversations for sure. That's right. Take the lead where you are leading the way with things that are interesting, things that stimulate people's thinking and things that let you get to know each other in more meaningful ways. Well, happy Thanksgiving, depending on when you're listening to this. Happy Christmas. Christmas is coming up. This is a holiday season, a time to get together, to share together, grow together, love on each other, deepen relationships, and certainly the anecdote to any loneliness that you may be experiencing. So thanks for listening. Thank you, babe, for being on today to sharing your ideas. I loved it. It was fun. Thanks for you who listening for being open to growing, being a more powerful force for making the world a better place, as I know you are. So if you have somebody who needs encouragement, who may be experiencing holiday loneliness, hey, share this episode with them. Um, They'll appreciate you for doing that. And be that person who encourages others this time of year for sure. Smile, encourage others, have great conversations, stay committed to your belief that we can, without a shadow of a doubt, find or create work that is meaningful, and a life, of course, as well, that's meaningful, purposeful, and profitable.